Good morning. Well, the Christmas season is upon us, like it or not. I see none of you, you all look okay. Don't like any of you were trampled on any lines at Good Friday this weekend. Hope you had a, you had a good Friday. That's, oh, that's, that's a bad faux pas, isn't it? Um, well, glad you're here. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, today we're going to finish this series of messages on giving. Giving that's motivated by love, not out of... Um, not out of external pressures from anyone else. And we're going to talk today about a giving that gives purposefully. Um, through this series, we've talked about how God is a giver, that all uh, good gifts come from God. We've talked about how in response that we're to give our first and our best to God. Last week, we talked about how we're to give gladly, that if we're giving it out of a heart that's reluctant, that God doesn't want us to give, but God wants us to give with a glad and sincere heart. And as I said, today we're going to talk about what it means to give purposefully. Speaking of giving at, at Christmas, um, have any of you ever been part of a white elephant gift exchange? Any of you? That seems to be the thing uh, d- during the Christmas season. Uh, oftentimes, uh, have, you actually, have you ever actually gotten anything in a white elephant gift exchange you actually could use? <laughs> any of you? I feel like two hands, maybe. Usually that stuff either ends up in my house at Goodwill, or we just hang on to it for the next Christmas and let someone else be the sucker in the next holiday season. I don't know about what you guys do with your stuff, but that's usually what I do with mine. Um, if any of you um, thought about the why we call it a white elephant gift exchange, any idea? The story goes that the king of Siam back in ancient days, whenever he had a real enemy, he had a very clever way of getting back at that enemy. He, he thought the best way to ruin them was this sneaky and personal thing that he did. He actually gave them a gift. You would actually give them a white elephant. A literal albino white elephant. And it was quite an honor back in ancient days to see it. White elephants were considered sacred back in ancient times. So the recipient had no choice but to care for this animal. The problem was the gift took a crazy amount of resources, right? Money, energy, finances, um, time to be able to take care of it. And the thing that was once considered an incredible gift they came to realize became an incredible burden, right? I wonder how easy it is for our financial resources and our stuff to become white elephants in our lives. Things that we think are a blessing, but they just create more stress and more burden in our lives. For example, 30 years ago, I decided it was time for me to buy my first car. And some of you have heard this story years ago. I think I told it in a sermon many years ago. But um, I had managed to save up $1,500 by the time I was 16. And that didn't buy very much even back then. But it could buy a, a Mercury Comet that was about as old as I was. 1972 Mercury Comet. This old lady next door had it. She hardly ever drove it. It was up on blocks at the time. And my dad found out about it. And he convinced her to take 1500 bucks for it. She was glad to get rid of the thing because she couldn't drive it. And um, at first, I thought this was such an amazing gift. And then I came to realize this car was not a fashion statement. I wasn't winning over any girls with this car. Um, it was in pretty good shape. The, the seats were immaculate inside. It hadn't been driven much. But the paint was so old on it, it was like chalk. It would rub off on your clothes when you would touch it. Now, never once did David Hillis worry as a 16-year-old about something happening to that car. Never once did I worry about someone stealing it. 
Never once did I worry about someone staining the seat, right? I didn't obsess over it getting washed. In fact, I didn't want it to get washed because I was afraid it was going to wash the rest of the paint off the car if I did. Now, a few years later, I was in college. I had a full-time job working, and I decided I'm going to upgrade and get something a little more, what I consider a little nicer, a little more reliable. And so I bought a brand-new Mitsubishi Eclipse. Now, what do you think happened when I did that? I started noticing every little nick, every little ding, every little stain. Didn't want anyone to eat in the car because I was afraid they were going to mess it up, right? I was constantly worried about keeping it up. I'd go to a store and I'd park at the other end of the parking lot. How many of you are guilty of doing this, right? You park at the other end of the parking lot so that no one can ding your car accidentally, right? This incredible thing which I thought was going to make my life easier ended up causing more worry and more anxiety than I had before. And it happens all the time. I'm going to apologize. I can already hear my voice cracking. I've been fighting bronchitis all week, so you guys just hang with me. We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to just ignore it and keep drinking some tea here on the stage. But this happens all the time. Um, we buy things that make our lives safer, that makes our lives easier, and that we think are going to shield us from life's anxieties. We, we buy the newer or the safer car, for instance. Or we buy the bigger house with the alarm system and some cameras or bulldogs or bears in the backyard to protect it, right? And somehow we think that that's going to make our lives easier and safer. We, we buy this new computerized appliance with automatic everything, and we think that's going to make our lives easier until we realize we can't make this stupid thing work, right? And we're constantly messing with it to try to make the thing work. Or we, we save more. We, we tell ourselves, I'm not going to be in the place that my parents or my grandparents were. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to be safe and secure for when I'm older. I'm going to have everything in place, right? And in the process, something interesting happens. Our lives get more stressful, not less. We never seem to get financially to the place that we think we need to be. And the more we accumulate, the less open-handed we become. We don't give more, we give less. And we, we trust God less. The very comforts and conveniences of life, in essence, become a white elephant. In our lives. Now, this isn't just my idea. People have been talking about this for a very long time. In fact, there was a Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. You, maybe you heard about him in philosophy class. He even spoke about this in the 1800s. He said, Riches and abundance come hypocritically clad in sheep's clothing, pretending to be security against anxieties, and they become then the object of anxiety. They secure a man against anxieties just about as well as the wolf. That is putting put to tending the sheep. There was a German pastor in World War II named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he said something very similar. He said, Earthly goods deceive the human heart into believing that they give it security and freedom from worry, but in truth, they're what cause anxiety. The book of James speaks to this in the Bible. The book of James calls wealth dangerous. He doesn't say it's bad. In fact, wealth can be a good thing. It can be a good in a lot of ways. But James calls wealth dangerous. You know why? He actually compares it to a fire. You know, a fire can keep you warm. It can keep you all safe feeling and comfy. It, it can cook your food. It can burn candles and let, that let off this nice, pleasing, sweet aroma all over your house. But a fire can also burn everything to the ground, right? 
destroying nearly everything it touches. So throughout the Bible, God warns us to be careful with money and with stuff. It can be used to foster generosity and bless people, but it can also foster greed and corrode and destroy us from within. Jesus especially warns us about this in Luke chapter 12. And I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn there. Luke 12, or as, as Sue was saying earlier, mygrace.church, sermon notes tab, you can click on it there. Um, today what we're going to see is that when we purposefully give, we purpose to give greed no place in our lives. I'm going to say that again. When we purposefully give, we purpose to give greed no place in our lives. We're going to start seeing this as we look at a story in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Let's look at this story. It's called the parable of the rich fool. It says this. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much we own. And then Jesus told the man a story. He said, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all of my wheat and my other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you have worked so hard for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, picture this. The crowds were huge that day. It numbered into the thousands, it says a little bit earlier in this passage. And the interaction was fierce. Jesus was being lobbed several questions during this period of time. People were constantly throwing questions at him to see how he would respond. And this man comes along, and he asks Jesus a question. You see, he's complaining because he's, he's, his brother, his elder brother, is getting ready to inherit all the family's finances. And that's the typical custom back then, right? The eldest son was able to get everything. And so he doesn't think that's fair. And he thinks, well, maybe Jesus could convince my older brother to share a little bit, to not be so, so greedy. And Jesus looks at him and he says, beware of all kinds of greed. Beware of the greed that keeps you from sharing, but also beware of that covetous greed that makes you always want what someone else has. Greed is the drive in our lives to get more, to hang on to what we have at all costs. And it's, the Bible says it's among the most destructive of all spiritual forces. It sees, money, it sees more as the answer to all of our problems, whether, whether more is stuff or more is finances. And it's always self-focused. It's not others-focused. And it never seems to have enough, right? Jesus tells us about this man who he calls a rich fool because he's focused throughout his life on accumulating more wealth out of greed and out of personal gain. And in verse 19, it says this man brags 
because he's finally set in life, right? And Jesus says to him, or says in this, that God says to him, you fool, you've spent all this time accumulating more stuff, and this very night, you're not going to live. And then who's going to get it all? Here, what we see is the, big, is the biggest problem about greed. Because it's so hard for us to accept in ourselves. God doesn't mind us having stuff or having money. He minds when that stuff, that money has us. You know, greed is so much different than many of the other sins. Because it's not like lying or stealing where you know when you've done it, right? There's a specific time when you know you committed that sin and you just have to wrestle with it and address it in your own life. It's a specific thing that's outside the will of God. Greed, though, is, is far more hidden and seductive. It's not so much an action as it is a state of the heart. And it doesn't happen in a moment in time where all of a sudden you become a greedy person. It's this slow drift away from God. And we can hide it from others and we can even hide it from ourselves by not being willing to see it and to accept it. But to God, it couldn't be more obvious in our lives. Luke 16, 13, Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and greed. And in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul points out all these different ongoing habitual sins in our lives. And greed is listed in that mix. And he says, if you don't turn from those things, then you won't even go to heaven. So you, you see how dangerous Greed can actually be. So, with this in mind, how do we prevent what I would call greed creep in our lives? How do we cultivate a love for giving purposefully and pushing back against that thing that rises up in us to always want more? It's, uh, because we can be a millionaire and not be greedy. We can live off of a small amount, but we can have very, very little and not be willing to let anything go, Right? There's three things I want to share with you this morning. Three things that I think can push back against the creep in our lives. The first one is this. Our sincere dependence upon God in prayer. It's a prayer asking God constantly to make me aware of the creep in my life. Help me to become aware when greed is starting to take root in some area of my life, Lord. And being willing to surrender that to God. There's a passage in the Psalms that's so beautiful when it comes to this. In Psalm 119, uh, it says this, Make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me, a life, give me life through your word. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek God's kingdom. Seek God's plan, God's work in your life. Put him first, and God will take care of you. So the first thing is that we have a dependence upon God in prayer. The second thing I'd share with you this morning is to have an attitude of gratitude, which is something we talk about a lot this time of year, right? Hebrews 13, 5 says that we can keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what we have. And it's ironic to me how you know, we... On, on, Days like last Thursday, when we celebrate Thanksgiving, we, we celebrate how thankful we are, right? And how grateful to God we are. The very day before, or just hours before, 
We line up in front of stores to buy all this stuff for ourselves. You know, there's a term for it now in the popular media. It's called self-giving. And it's something that's become a trend now in the last decade here in America. 38% of those who went out shopping this weekend bought only for themselves. And studies have found in the last couple of years that about 58% of us buy stuff for ourselves over the holidays. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, If we have food and clothes, with that we should be content. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll be real honest. I don't think I'd be very content with just food and clothes. I've worked too hard for, to just have that. I feel like I've, I'm owed more than that. Now, some of you are looking at me with these eyes. Hey, don't, don't judge me right now. <laughs> don't be over there like, really, Pastor? That's really disappointing. You know? God says, though, I think this is true of all of us if we're willing to admit it. God says we can be content with just that. God says we can be, that, that can be sufficient in our lives. Just the very basics in life. Yet we always seem to want more than that, right? Remember Matthew 6. Remember Matthew 6 as Jesus reminds us that there's a greater, greater kingdom work that God is calling us to that can't be distracted by all that stuff in life. It constantly pulls at us all the time. Pastor John Piper said this once not too long ago that really struck me. He said, I am wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I, I start to love what others love. I start to call earth home. And before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs. And I'm using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war, he says. I don't think so much about people perishing. Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. I, I start dream, stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I sink into a secular mindset that looks first at what man can do, not at what God can do. And then he says this. He says, it's a terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. Prayer and gratitude help at that Put, keep that seductiveness of greed at bay, as well as to help us have a heart to giving purposefully so that we can lastly have what I would call, number three, a, a thoughtful plan of giving. A thoughtful plan of giving. The Bible talks about the importance of having a plan, of planning your giving, of making those decisions before God carefully rather than impulsively, of deciding how much and how often we're to give so that we don't hesitate to give when the time comes. We are to give purposefully, Paul is suggesting in Corinthians, which is, forms a strategy for how the heart of a Christ follower can develop. Now, a good giving plan has what I would call four Ps. And this is in your sermon notes this morning. Four Ps. One is priority giving. In other words, we, we talked about this in the first sermon of this series where I talked about how love gives first, Right? We're to not give our leftovers to God, but we're to plan on our giving and giving our first fruits to God and allowing everything else to be covered later. We're to have percentage giving, which means we're not to just give an amount, but we're to consider a percentage of our income, whatever God blesses us with, and give that and determine after we've determined that percentage where that money is going to be given. We're to give progressively 
which means that we're not just to settle on a, a, a percentage and live there, but as God blesses and as we have more and more faith in God, we're to allow that amount to progress or to build over time. And we're to have property giving, which means that we have enough uh, padding, enough safety, enough of a safety net in our lives financially that as Deuteronomy 15 verses 7 through 10 say, when we come across an immediate need, that we have space in our lives to be able to meet that need. Over time, with those three things, a dependence on God in prayer, an attitude of gratitude, and with a plan for our giving, we can start to climb what some people in our culture today call the generosity ladder. Now, I don't know if you can see this very well from your seats. Probably not. But in your online sermon notes, this, uh, this is, it's in there. And I, there's actually a little article that you can actually work through this on your own this week. I'd encourage you this week to pull this out, maybe in your quiet time, and look at it. Because what you see as you look at this ladder is this is a progression for how we grow in generosity over time. It starts at the very bottom here with the non-generous person. The person who would say, I can't be generous at this time in my life. That's the bottom of the rung. But then it progresses to a, a self-promotional way of giving, which would say, how will this help me in my life? Then there's the self-appeasing giving, which is giving that makes me feel good. The fourth rung of the ladder is, is doing good, which is saying, I'll give to good things when I feel like it. Then there's the safe giver, which says, I'll give what I can. And then the percentage giver, which we just talked about, which is, uh, has a, is giving a tithe and has a, a planned plan for how they're going to give in the future. The sixth rung of the ladder is sacrificial giving, which has the attitude to sacrifice is gain. Are you starting to find where you might be on this ladder? And then the last step is the kingdom view giver, which says, I have an eternal focus on my giving. Where we say, giving is my priority in life. God has called me to be a steward of what, the re of what resources he's put in front of me. And it's my job to use those as God wills. Where are you today on that ladder? I'd encourage you this week, pull out that article, find where you are, and pray, ask God, God, what would it take for me to take one step up on that ladder and be just a little more generous in the next year? than I've been in the past. You know, people have said, some people are so poor, all they have is money. Another person said, there are men who gain from their wealth only the fear of losing it. Dave Ramsey says, the great misunderstanding, the paradox is the mistaken belief that the way to have more is to hold on tightly. You will never have financial peace until you learn to manage money with an open hand. The Bible says, in the message paraphrase, our greedy luxuries are a cancer in our guts. And Jesus, Jesus says this in Luke 12, verse 15. He says, watch out and guard yourselves from every kind of greed. Because your true life is not made up of the things you own, no matter how rich you may be. You know, there's a reason why the Bible talks more about our finances than any other topic in Scripture. There's a reason why Jesus talks about this topic more than any other topic when he was alive. Greed is seductive. We don't even see it coming, and then it has a hold on us. 
And the antidote to that is to live a life of giving. To live a life of giving motivated by love. When we purposefully give, we purpose to give greed no place in our lives. So, guys, let's love God. Not just this Christmas season, but throughout our lives into the future. Let's, give, let's love God with all of our hearts and put him first. Let's ask him to show us when greed starts to creep in so that we can pull back and find a true place of contentment with what we have. Because as Jeff said so eloquently just a few minutes ago upon this stage, for most all of us in this room, if we're really honest with ourselves, we have so much to be grateful for. We have so much to be content with in this life. But contentment is truly a state of the heart. Would you pray with me?